0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Authentic Path Podcast. This is episode number two of season two, all about music, which I may or may not continue throughout the whole season. I'm not sure yet. Um, I decided that it might make more sense to just do all different kinds of career paths again, and we'll see what happens. So keep uh, your eyes out and stay tuned. I decided to start this episode a little bit differently than some of the past ones because it's with a really, really cool musician who just released this amazing song called Black Clouds and his name is Dominic Omega. That's his musical name and his real name is Reggie Wingo. And I really enjoyed this episode with him, but I wanted to just open the podcast with sharing his song that he just released because I think it's really powerful. And honestly, like it says a lot of things about the current times we're living in and the Black Lives Matter movement and just things that I think are important to share and more important to share than an interview um, with me asking questions because it's more from his authentic heart of heart and what he actually wants to release out into the world. Um, and so after that that's over, then it'll get into the interview around four, four and a half minutes into the podcast. So yeah, thanks so much for listening. And I hope you really enjoy this episode with Reggie Wingo. He is an amazing guy and a really, really cool rapper. So enjoy. Without further ado, this is the Authentic Path Podcast, and I am your host, Phelan Sugarman-Lash, saying enjoy.
1: Big O. I had to leave y'all for a little
2: bit, get my shit right. I'm back. Where I'm supposed to be. Man, I hope. I've been patient. Y'all been patient. No more waiting, dosing out this potent medication For those infected, and those addicted A quick injection. you feel the rush as you inhaling, and yeah it gets you lifted I'm hella gifted, to be specific when I kick shit I got that impact and that blowback like a fucking biscuit So bring some gravy, can't no one save me Been thinking lately, that we can save the bath, water and the baby I know it's crazy, but please just listen Got more balls than the camps and cages that they keep them border kids in on the rooftops loudly screaming fuck the system proselytize and prophesize equity for those that listen We in a bad position, like fundamentally For fucking centuries we focused on the gentry seat You asking me? I say it's time to put a freeze On spending all the cheese to line the pockets of our enemies Bro, we need policies and to defund police Still can't believe that cats like me are dying Cause they couldn't breathe And shit ain't nothing funny, but for the love of money We straight up sacrificing lives here in 2020 And I don't mean my vision, I mean this fucking system Trying to keep us in the kitchen, dead or locked up in a prison But you too busy simping to stop and fucking Listen, Karen's bitchin' like she ain't been sittin' in the pole position You callin' and you snitchin' with loaded ammunition About niggas watchin' birds or tryin' to make a livin' I'm really tired, Wiz, but you know what it is Every single thing I do, I did it for my fuckin' kids I put that on Obama and spit it like a llama Something in me broke when George hollered out for his mama I'm fuckin' tired, fam, I swear I really am Unapologetic as we shadow box with Uncle Sam We gotta take a stand while others take a knee The tragedy is y'all can't see past Tucker's on channel three, we trapped inside the box, the Oboe carrot box. 243 years, that's why we burn a block. Cause we get tasted shot, murdered a fucking lot. While corporate cats are caking bees off a selling pot. You think I'm kidding? Stop. We got too much to gain. Clouds on the horizon, and we long overdue for rain.
1: We're at a fucking tipping point right now. A lot of people want to talk a lot of shit about the right side of history, the wrong side of history. Look, it is time for fucking change.
2: Look, look, we're not going anywhere. You can either get with it or get left behind. Those are the only options at this point. I'm fucking exhausted. Daily. 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 daily, whatever God, whatever, whatever. Big, big, big O, big O, big O, big O, big O, three, two, one, zero.
0: Reggie, thanks for coming on the show, super happy to get you on here and get a chance to hear your story. So um, just to start out, I'd love to ask what your general background is and how you got into music.
1: So general background, I was born in St. Louis and lived in Missouri for five years. Like I was adopted when I was super young. Um, Then we moved up to the northwest corner of Connecticut, which is where my mom grew up. Um, And from there, we ended up in Sheffield um, because I started going to the Rudolph Steiner School. Uh, so I went there for a year and then um, we were sort of up here and kicked around Barrington and Sheffield, Egermont. Um, and then honestly, I didn't really, I didn't really get into like hip hop until I was probably 13 or 14. Like I pretty much only listened to like punk, like the Dead Kennedys, the Bikini Kill, shit like that. Um, and then I bought. Three Feet High and Rising, the De La Soul album at White Night Records on Main Street in Barrington. It was my first hip hop album I bought and I loved it. And that's just sort of like where my love affair with hip hop
0: began. Cool, so then after you got that album, you started just like freestyling or what was your journey into like becoming a rapper?
1: No, no, not even like, so I, you know, listened to that, um, then, sorry, you know, branching out listening to other things like, Notable things that, like, came out when I was almost, like, Ice. He put out the Body Count album, and that was, like, parental advisories. So it was, like, super sketchy, so you had to have that. Um, so I was listening to, like, a bunch of random stuff. And then um, when I was, like, probably 16 or – yeah, probably 16, um, I was hanging out uh, at the mall a lot on like Friday nights and like me and this dude, Kevin Brown, actually, uh, we would just have like ciphers like outside the food court. um, And like, that's just where it started. What's a cipher? So a cipher is when just like a bunch of dudes just like stand around and like all freestyle and like take turns and like- Cool. Sort of like a mix of like playing the dozens and like just trying to like one up everybody and, just trying to get, like, crowd reactions from, like, the kids who were watching and shit. But that was, like, what we did, like, every Friday night, like, forever. Wow. Uh, Yeah. And from there, I just started, like, branching out, uh, because I was living in Cheshire. um, And I started, like, just meeting more of the, like, hip-hop kids in, like, Pittsfield, the Brands kids and the Graffiti kids. And, you know, we all just started hanging out. and that's that's how i like officially got started like rapping
0: nice so you that was like 17 18 area of your life
1: 16
0: 17. 16 16 17 okay cool so then you um released an album at some point in like 2011 was that when you were much older yeah yeah definitely okay so like fill in between that like those gaps
1: oh man so between those gaps so much happened so uh, <laughs> So I moved out of Cheshire and came back to Barrington um, and was in Barrington for a little while. And then I moved up to Dalton, actually, because I got a nannying gig. So I had like two little dudes that I watched all day. And um, then like when their mom would get home, like we would go. And like, so one of the dudes that I like hung out with, like tough as a kid, Brian Brown, um who now has like a red carpet tattoo in Dalton. Like his whole crew was like they were like the five elements kids, like the consummate, like backpack hip hop kids. So we would like go hang out. Um and there was like, you know, like a breakdance crew. There was like a ton of kids who were like DJs and producers. Um and so like we would like she would get home and like I would like eat and then we'd like peel and we would just go and we would like hang out and you know just have ciphers. Not like not actually producing a lot of music at this time. Like, I was, like, I was just, like, a freestyle kid for probably, you know, four or five years or whatever. And then when I moved back down to Barrington, um, I linked up with my homie Trax, uh, this kid Pablo Zukowski, who was, like, my first, like, real producer. Like, we, like, did, like, substantial amounts of work together. Um, And we recorded an album with... Uh, my cousin Q, like, who goes by Carolina Black, um, and we had, like, a little crew called The Noble Gasses, and we made this amazing album called Diamonds Are For Suckers um, that never came out because, like, back then, it was, like, definitely not – it was so much harder to, like, put out stuff independently then. Um, You know, so it's like, you know, you're three 17-, 19-, eight-year-old kids. Right.
0: There's, like, no band camp, no –
1: No, yeah, no distro No SoundCloud, yeah. Yeah. So it's like you'd have like a thousand dollars to like fuck with CD, baby and like get physical copies of a CD, have space for a thousand CDs, you know what I mean? Like all these things. So we had this album sitting around um, that we just didn't put out, but we were doing shows. We were like doing a lot of shows. Like we did Helsinki. We do like we've done the bandstand. We did like there used to be like a old gym over by Riverbend. We did shows there. We did shows at Searles, like whatever. Um, and then, um, Pablo actually introduced me to, uh, the archetype, uh, who's from Alford. Um, and so he and I started working, um, and he and Q started working, um, like independently. Um, and this is like back when his like label was like grade A productions, like he was still in college. Um, God, so long ago. So then, um, like, we worked with Janos for, like, a year and a half or so, and then he, like, bought a spot in Boston um, that is now the Bridge Sound and Stage, but it's, like, this old, like, like this studio's got some history. Like, I can't remember what it used to be called. I want to say, like, maybe Apache Studios or something like that. Um, But Yosh signed us to the label, um, AR Classic, And that's when, um, you know, this, like, that's, like, the beginning of the process of, like, this moment in time coming out. And then we also, he had a couple other artists that he was working with, uh, Vice Versa and Fran P. And, like, we happened to, like, run into them on, like, a weekend studio session. And we, like, all vibed out hard. Like, I had done a couple of tracks with Vice, like, early on. Um, But then we formed the High Life uh and cut the iller album um you know and like interspersed in all this we're doing shows like all over boston you know like we've done the lizard lounge we've done the middle east we you know like done shows down in the city at like sobs we've done um the new yorecan uh and then like we do shows like in like maine and vermont and like whatever so it's like a ton of driving just a ton of like like road tripping you know six dudes stuffed into a car or like whatever um but yeah that's like kind of how it started so like when this moment in time came out um it was like i had i do this thing where i like have these babies and then like stop rapping because babies take up a lot of time and energy and yeah stuff. so i've heard yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so i had like like i had stopped doing shows Pablo had moved to the city. Q was still like rapping with like drum and like the nostalgia boys. Um, but I had stopped because Athena was born. And uh, then, like, when she was maybe like f- three. So let me see. Like, yeah, it's probably around like 2007. Um, I like got back up with Yano. She was like, bro, like, I'm ready to come back. Like, I'm ready to work. Um, And so that's when we like started the process of making this moment in time, but it was like, we had like so many other projects and stuff going on too, like with the high life and like whatever. So like, it took a really long time to make this moment in time, but I'm like really glad it did in retrospect because it like gave us the ability to put together like a really solid, like body of work. It was like a good, like driving concept behind it.
0: Nice. Yeah, long story. Um, what, What did it feel like when you first got signed uh, and like how did that change your perception of yourself as a musician to like be a quote-unquote like professional or would you already think of yourself like that?
1: It was, I don't know I mean, like we kind of already thought we were pro and like because we were signed to like a small label like I think I would have felt different if we got signed to like Interscope or something but it was like I didn't have any of the like trepidation or anxiety around getting signed that like was kind of an undercurrent in those days because you would hear these stories about like dudes getting in advance and like blowing it and then like getting shelved and like never putting out an album and like blah 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 blah. but because it was like a homegrown kind of thing and like i knew everybody you know what i mean and like uh archetype and his partner owen you know what i mean like i've known them forever and it's like it was obvious no one was gonna try and like screw you or like anything like that right so it like felt good um to get signed and it was like it was dope because like ar is like AR is, like, a little family, like, really, you know, it's, like, very, like, not corporate at all, like, Yanosh like, does his thing, he, like, takes care of his artists, he's, like, really attentive to, like, artist needs, you know what I mean, like, and he's, like, his work ethic is bananas, like, the kid is a worker for sure, um, so it was, like, it didn't really change my perception, um, but it definitely did, like, elevate the profile, because we started, like, opening up for, like, bigger name dudes, you know what I mean, and, like, started to be like the highlights, started being like, you know, top build at shows and like whatever. So that was like a a good feeling.
0: Cool, yeah. Um, I wanna dig in a little bit to like what your inspirations were to rap and to be a musician um, over the years. Cause you started when you were 13, 14, when you first like heard this album. And then at 16, 17, you got into more like freestyling and we're doing the cyphers. And then as you got older, you know, going out, touring, starting different bands and groups. So how did your, like, inspiration to, to be writing change as you were younger and then got older?
1: So, like, when I was young, like, I actually used to, like, <laughs> like, beef with Pablo, like, a ton, because we'd, like, have studio sessions, and you'd be like, all right, so we're going to, like, write this song, and I'd be like, nah, bro, I'm just going to freestyle this 16, and, like, it'll be okay. Like, I'll make it work. And if it doesn't work, we'll do a different one. It doesn't matter. Um, so then, like, really, like, him and Carolina Black, like, really, like, nailed me down to like, yo, you gotta write. And so like writing's hard, like freestyling comes like really easy to me. Um, Cause it's just like, it's just kind of, once you get in the groove, you just kind of just keep it moving. But like when you sit down and write, it's like, you're like, oh man, like this shit's gotta be perfect. Like I have the time to make it perfect. Like yeah. why not? Um, so it's like my inspiration in the early days, I would say was like, just like being the dopest MC, right? Um, and then like, a lot of it too is because like music back then was so different than it is now, and like the dudes we were listening to are so much different than like the stuff that's on the radio now. So what it was do you like, mean by that? Uh, it's like the like to boil it down, like hip hop in like you know from like ninety three to like you know ninety nine two thousand or like whatever was, in my opinion, like grittier and like raw and realer and it was like it was like drug dealer music like the dudes you know who were like thugs and like whatever right versus today where it's like these like young cats and like not all of them i don't want to like paint with a broad brush but like by and large it's like drug user music it's like in the 90s like you never would have like put out a song that was like yo i like went to the club and did like 14 zannies last night and like what like it just would not have happened like dudes would have been like oh go home bro like i'm not fucking with you like that like right um so that's a big change i think um value of production has changed a lot too like actually craft in production has changed a lot like beats are a lot more sparse now you know what i mean like anyone can just sort of like throw down like an 808 and a shaker and then like throw in some like space noises and like, bam, you got a trap beat. And it's like done. Yeah. Like we're not getting like guys like Pete Rock or like Black Milk or like any of the like classic producers who like really like were like leaning on like soul samples and jazz samples, you know what I mean? And like actually playing instrumentation on their stuff. And like, so the whole like feeling of it is like a lot more like prepackaged and artificial now as opposed to like back then it it was like a very much like organic thing or like organic at least in the fact that like someone was like putting like time and love into like the beats and like whatever and and bars too like rappers today like it's it's like kind of depressing to me like there are definitely like notable MCs that are like current and are like you know like J. Cole I'm a huge fan yeah he's awesome I am a Kendrick fan like a hundred percent like everything Kendrick does I think is brilliant and like dope like I listen to a lot of Gambino um like so those dudes like are still like they're kind of like the last bastion to me but then it's like you have like the little yatties and the like that whole kind of area that like yeah. kids listen to it and it sells records so I mean it's viable I guess but I mean this is just like where I realized that like I'm like kind of like the old hip-hop guy like sitting on the porch rattling my cane at these kids I don't know
0: yeah. I mean, as a, as a kid, right. I'm 22. Um, in that genre of like young people, I actually really value the art that like is, that has meaning and, and makes a difference and that people are creating for some like reason other than just to like sell albums. Right. So like J Cole, his music is so real. Like it just digs into like the meaning of what it is to be black or what it is to like deal with like aggression or all of that stuff. So it's a very different experience to listen to it than like, you know, some of this the music that comes out today. So I'm like all all for what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I mean, and like like I said, like there are pockets like in the country and then there are like definitely like collectives that are like doing their thing. Like um like chance and chances people, like BJ the Chicago Kid, Taylor Bennett, no name. Like no name is I love mm-hmm. no name. Um Rhapsody, you know what I mean? Like there are like definitely like heavy hitters out there still, but like like by and large it's like i've watched hip-hop like take such a like turn to the left and just like and you can still find like authentic hip-hop but it just doesn't it doesn't get the like push and the radio play that it did like between 93 and like 2000 like the like wu-tang biggie tupac like those years it was like it was like, it was, like it was like a tipping point where it was like everyone was just like coming so hard like the roots were like banging you know what I mean tribe was still killing it like and all these dudes like had just like this level of quality to their music that was just by and large much better than what I think people are putting out now
0: yeah totally so I want to get into something um and I want to preface it by saying that like i'm largely ignorant of what it means to like be a black person and i've been like educating myself a lot recently with everything going on but like growing up in the berkshires being 75 percent white partially asian i've just like haven't really experienced that and have been pretty privileged growing up but i know that you uh grew up in the berkshires too so i'm just like wondering what your experience has been with that and then to tie that into that new song that you just wrote and released about like the black lives matter movement and just kind of like what your experiences with that tied into like creation of music and hip-hop and how things have changed and then where you want to go with art in the future big question so
1: like yeah it's a big one um so like another group right like that i used to really love and listen to like all the time was like dead prez and they were like um they were like a super political um like based group uh Like, their first album, Let's Get Free, uh, actually was probably one of the most defining albums I ever listened to in my, like, like on repeat in my life. Um, And it was, like, I was into it because, like, politics is also something that I've always, like, really been interested in. Like, I've been an activist forever. Um, So it's, like, growing up in the Berkshires is... So it's weird, because like, all right, so my adoptive parents uh, are an interracial couple. Like, my mom is white, my dad is black, uh, I have two biracial sisters, um, you know what I mean? Three biracial sisters and a biracial brother. Um, So growing up in the Berkshires, being black has been, like, largely, it's kind of chill. um, But when it's not chill it's extra not chill hmm. yeah that makes sense to me so so like in high school it was like I was cool with like everybody or like whatever or cool with everybody you know air quotes or whatever um but it was like I'd like leave a party or like whatever and then like the next day I'd have like actual homies who like stayed and be like dude like we're talking like mad shit like after you left you know like whatever like da 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 so it's like you like file that away um you know like i mean like the first time i got called a nigger was in fourth grade at school white kid you know what i mean like we got into a big fist fight, like whatever um the berkshires is like really weird because it is not a place or hasn't been a place until very recently right where people are like overtly racist yeah right but it's like you are you know x y and z when you leave or like da 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 da. um so it's like in a way in a way i would almost rather live like in the deep south in like alabama or like tennessee where it's like you don't like me because i'm black you're just gonna tell me like you don't like me because i'm black as opposed to like smiling in my face and like partying with me for a couple of hours. And then when I leave, I'm, you know, I'm a coon, I'm this, I'm that, like whatever. So that's like been a huge part of my, um, as a kid, like I got a lot of fights as a kid, like over some racist, like racially based, like nonsense. Um, the thing with the Berkshires is, is it's, um, it's like generational right like no one no one comes out of the womb racist right so it's like these are the things that you are either like hearing at home or like actively taught at home or like whatever um and then like with just the simple fact that this is such a like especially south county um you know there's like only like four or five like black families like in south county you know what i mean crazy yeah so it's like in any given time it's like my when i went to high school like from ninth Of the ninth grade through the 12th grade, there was probably 10 black kids, a couple of multiracial kids or biracial kids. And then we always hung out with like the Spanish kids, the Latin kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So it's like, you know, it was like us 15 of a student body of 720. Right. So it's like you always like you're always paying attention. You're always, you know, like looking out. I mean, I, I looked out less when I was a kid because I was just more reckless and like, oh, if like it comes, it comes. But like now that like I'm a, you know, grown up with kids and stuff, it's <laughs> like, I like, like walk places like I assess, I assess the room. I like look around and I look for like small indicators, you know, like thin blue line, t-shirts or like you know what i mean like when we're in the parking lot to park at a restaurant like i am like checking for confederate flag bumper stickers and like nra bumper stickers and like whatever um and it's like a thing you have to do as a person of color like just to like your situational awareness has to be good at any time because like if something does go down and like police get called then like you automatically know that you are going to be in the wrong like yeah just how the old boy network kind of works out here it's like totally the odds are like dude's gonna pull up and like whoever it is you're beeping with is gonna be like oh hey cliff like blah 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 and right like hey cousin then, hey uncle yeah right yeah so um so yeah and then like these days it's like i just i, I mean whatever i i'm okay ever since this administration has started like. People with like bigoted or racist feelings, leanings, ideals, like whatever, they're just like people are just coming out of the woodwork now, being like uh, whatever. You know what I mean, yeah. I literally just got into it on a community forum board the other day by right. a older gentleman uh, who was to like put up a post about how Black Lives Matter killed Sicoria Turner in Atlanta. And I'm wow. like, yeah, that's not even, you know, how that went down. And his whole little video is filled with, like, subtextual racism, microaggressions, you know, whatever. And I called him a trash bag. He got very offended um, because that's, I guess, the most offensive right. thing you can right. say. <laughs> and he, like, he blocked me and then, like, proceeded to, like, Make a thirty-minute right. video right. where he like goes through my Facebook page and like the things that I've been posting over the last three months, four wow. months, whatever. Um, talking about like the extreme views that I hold, wow. and that me and my partner might be communists, and like da 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 da. And it's like they're not extreme views. They're like views for like equal human rights. Like if that's extreme to you, you still live in nineteen forty-eight, and that's problematic deeply. Right. Uh, so it's like it's a it's a really really crazy thing because like I have like both my kids are biracial. My mother is white. <laughs> you know what I mean. My partner is white. Like I you know so it sounds so weird to even say this, but like there are white people I like, <laughs> right? Like yeah, yeah. And I I think um. I think a lot of what's going on with folks is, like, they have a really hard time separating their anecdotal, like, lived experience from, like, systems, institutions, systemic setups, right, that, like, perpetuate racism or, like, prop up racism in spaces or in activities or in policy or in legislation. Um, Totally, Like This is why I, I, like... I've always been, like, as far as the music goes, I've always been like a dude, like, like M for instance, right? Like in the beginning when M first came out, everyone was like, oh my God, this kid, the most amazing thing ever. And like, and I'm like, Ugh. I'm not really feeling the, like I would stuff my pregnant in the trunk of a car, like types it, like, that's just not me. Like you have an opportunity to speak to literally millions of people at once. And that's what you choose to talk about. like never that dude you know what i mean like i'm never just like the gratuitous like guns and violence dude i'm never the like oh like we're out here trapping dude because like that's not my life it's not what you know i'm a teacher like i'm a teacher with kids and like so that's how like i kind of like get inspired by like trying to like open people's eyes to like experiences that they may not have you know what i mean or being able to like make a song that will put something into perspective for someone who like who will never experience the same kind of like anxiety and fear that like I feel when I get pulled over. You know what I mean? Like, um, so that's kind of like where black clouds really came from was like, um, once I watched that video of George getting murdered, um, it was just like, I mean, me and Q had been talking about, you know, working on a project. Uh, for the last like month or so two months uh and I was just kind of like yo like this is the time like especially like when the protests started and like one of my things is, is like ever since like Baltimore right because like this like I feel like it's like a cycle like it was like I feel like it started then and you know Lives Matter became a thing you know and then people were all lives matter and like there's, you know, tons to be said with even just that exchange and, like, whatever. Because, like, the All Lives Matter crowd doesn't care about kids in cages and they don't care about the homeless yeah. and they don't care. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a, it's a just simple yeah. phrase. Like, it's bullshit. It's just a way to silence people of color's voices again, you know? Um, so it was, like, I was just, like, really inspired by, like, all of it because it's, like, we never have – we get these, like, moments of steam built But there's never, like, a galvanizing, like, figure, right? Like, every Mm -hmm. movement that's been successful has had one or two figures, you know, who usually get murdered by the CIA or the FBI or, like, whatever. But you, like, I feel like it was, like, a point right now where it's, like, every voice counts and you never know, like, what voice could be the one to, like, sort of solidify shit and, like,
0: make shit gel. Dang, heavy. But thanks for sharing. Um, Yeah, so something I've thought about a lot is like, if being from a minority makes it harder to live like a quote unquote authentic life or like the authentic path. Um, so the reason that I started this podcast was because I've, I realized like how important it is to be authentic and to have integrity to who you are and to follow your passions because otherwise life just kind of sucks and like mental health becomes a huge issue if you're not like doing what you need to do as a person, um, which I think is a, a true for everyone, but it's also kind of a privileged thing to say because sometimes you have to just like make ends meet or survive or like fight against all of the systemic pressures and stuff. So I'm curious, like, and on the other side of that, actually, like I think the more challenge you face in your life, then the more real you can be and the more powerful your authenticity is when it comes out. So I'm curious, like what being a minority, um, makes, like how it shifts an authentic path in life, if you think it does. So it's like, so I think, I mean,
1: I don't want to speak for anyone else. Yeah, yeah, speak for you.
0: There
1: you go. So like as a person of color, like for instance, there's a a period of life where you can be as authentic as you want to be. And like, it just is what it is, right? Uh, And that's like right up until you're about like teen, 19. Um, And then you got to get a job. Right. So like you can't like you can't like go into a job and like be like the most hood dude at your workplace. Like that's not going to work. You know what I mean? So there's like there's a level of code switching that people of color have to do just to navigate white professional society. Right. Right. Um, And like I dodged that by going into carpentry. 'Cause it's like you can just like be whoever, like if the homeowner's not there, it's just like you crew of guys and you just like build stuff and do your thing and like whatever, it's fine. Um but then when I got into uh working for like a railroad street and started working for like nonprofits and got into like youth work and education and stuff, it's like, you know, uh you you could be at a rotary club lunch to like talk about your programming or like whatever right and you're just like sitting in a room with just like a bunch of money and a bunch of privilege right And like they have expectations right that if you don't meet those expectations you are then like filling out the stereotypes for them right so hmm. that like played to me for a really long time and like you know i was like oh you know like super professional and super like whatever and then i got to a point where i'm like you know what like i'm not doing that anymore you know what i mean yeah. like I, um, you know, like I go to work in like a hoodie and jeans. I go to work in shorts and a t-shirt. I, you know what I mean? I like, I let my work speak for itself. You know what I mean? I don't like, there's just like weird thing with like systems of power, right? Where they like use like weird sort of like setups to like modulate your behavior or modulate like, how you can like exist in a space, right? Like I, um, like professionally from nine to five, like during my day job, like you would never catch me in like a button down and a tie and a pair of slacks or like whatever. It's cause I don't, I don't believe in it. Right. Because like Mm -hmm. no one has to dress like that. Right. And in fact, like back in the day it's like the only reason we shifted to that is because like by and large folks, new color folks couldn't afford clothes like that. Right. So it was wow. a way to like, yeah, keep us crazy, like make us less than right. So, but then like in, in the weird multifaceted nonsense that is my head, right? Like when I work at a bar, like I will rock a tie, a vest, a, a button down, like whatever, you know what I mean? Because it's on my terms. Um, right. So, like, and then, like, the code switching, like, extends to, like, everything. Like, how you answer the phone. You know what I mean? Like, if my cousin were to call my phone, like, right now, you know, I'd, like, pick it up and be like, what's up, dude? You know what I mean? Like, what's good with you? Right? But, like, right. I'm at work and the phone rings. It's like, oh, hello, this is Reggie. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, like, don't want to, like, you don't want to scare people. You don't want to, like, whatever. Like, I... You know, a buddy of mine was telling me the other day we were at the studio. My boy Drum was like, dude, I drove all the way out to like Southfield or something to like drop off paper. Uh, and then like when I got back to the office, like a lady had left a voicemail, like got my paper. But like if next time you could not send a black guy, that would be great. Just because, you know, I know, it sounds like all insensitive or whatever, but I'm like an older woman. Lady and I live by myself. It just makes me nervous, right? So it's like it's still just like right there under the surface, yeah. And like, wow. Especially like people are just like putting it out there, like they don't care. Like I almost in a way feel like it's like a last gasp, right? Which is what I hope. And I hope yeah, like this is like right. the last push we have, right? And then people are like, oh, hey, it doesn't matter at all. You know what I mean? If, like you're Asian, you're and Cuban, black, like whatever, Scottish, doesn't matter, right? Um. So it's, like, being authentic, right, is, like, to me, one of the most important things, like, anyone can do, but especially, like, as a man of color, you know what I mean? Like, even in, like, our music and stuff, you know what I mean? Like, Carolina, like, led a whole different childhood than I did and got into a whole bunch more shit than I did and, like, whatever. He raps more about, like, play and the streets and like whatever. Cause like, that's what he did, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's like his actual truth, like whatever. And like, I could never do that. You know what I mean? Like, like when dudes found out that like Rick Ross like used to be like a correctional officer or like whatever, and like is not a, a cocaine kingpin or like yeah. whatever, right? Like half of like commercial rap is really like personas that labels are pushing because they know it sells units. Right. Right. Like, no one who's got a multi-million dollar, you know, selling album is gonna risk that, that money to go make a hundred dollars and sell some coke on the street. Like that's just yeah, that's insane. Yeah, yeah right. No one does that. Um, so like authenticity is 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 important, right? And especially these days, right, where we're sort of coming out of or like coming into like Yet again like look like we're here this is how we exist this is how we are you know what i mean like authenticity is like super important like like there was just legislation last year passed that like it's okay for me to have my hair how it naturally grows out of my head it's insane yeah right like so it's like i don't know man i i put a lot of stock into being authentic like in my work in my life in my music um because like without it kind of you just sort of like playing into the you know what i mean and like i feel like in a way like you know people are going to choose to do what they want to do and like rap about what they want to rap about make songs and what they want to rap about or like whatever at the end of the day like you're you're kind of shucking and jiving for a dollar and perpetuating stereotypes that are just like not helping our community in any way for what right Like sure, you like like I'm not I'm not rich, you know what I mean? Like I have I am not rap rich by any means. (laughs) Like I gotta ASCAP, it pays out maybe like three hundred dollars a year over the you know, the body of work I've done over the last ten years or like whatever. Yeah. Um but it's like that's just like authenticity and integrity is just worth so much more to me. Absolutely than than Else, dude. Like, even back in the day when it was still like you had to get signed, signed, and like whatever. Like, my big thing was always like, because I have creative control, I'm cool. Mm. But like, when you, you know, put me in like a shiny suit and like be like, oh, this is the choreography for the dance you're going to do in your video, like,
0: I'm not that dude. I'll never do Yeah. 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 So, um, I'm curious about also, you talked about your work um, at Railroad Street. Yeah. So I think like, I I just did another podcast the other day with a different musician and he was talking about how he, music for him is kind of like a side project. um, Even though it's like something he loves and it's really like a big passion for him. And it seems like for you, you know, you've had kids and you've had to like kind of become more of an adult and less of a like quote unquote adult and less of a like rapper and whatever that means. And so I'm just curious, like how you teach others how to be authentic and especially like the kids in the in the Berkshires who go to Railroad Street Youth Project who like need help, right? Like, how are you teaching them to be authentic and how are you teaching them to like live their lives in the best ways?
1: Well, so when I was at Railroad Street, I mean, I was I was like probably your age. Um, oh, okay, yeah. You know, 22. Yeah, 22. Um, yeah. And then, then I was just like, that's when I was in my like wildest, like, you know what? Like, do you, like, fuck these adults. Like, they don't know. Like, they don't remember what it's like to be a kid. Like, the, I'm like, I, I still, well, I still hold that value. Like, very good. you to a kid to my adult. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, it's not going to be a kid adult. It's just that like adults, A, for some reason, act like they were never teenagers. And then mm. B, act like that they were perfect when they were teenagers. And then B, act like it wasn't hard to be a teenager. And like, I don't know, maybe it wasn't hard to be a teenager in the 70s 80s, or like whatever. But it's hard today. It's, like, really, really hard. Like, a lot of information comes at you really fast. Shit is, like, our society is literally a dumpster fire. Like, it's nuts. <laughs> so, like, I work I work for the Elizabeth Freeman Center now, and we work in schools, and we go in and we talk, teach sex ed. We have, like, healthy relationships classes. Um, and even in that, like, my, I would say my one, like, working ethos is, like, be as real as possible with these kids because that's what I needed when I was 13, 14. Like I needed someone who would like answer the questions that I had, even though they were ridiculous, even though they were like, if like, if my question is like, Hey man, so like, I, I think, uh, you know, my buddy is like doing way too much acid. I need you to not freak out on me and give me actionable steps to like help like, when I was like young, I got a lot of like, oh, like you don't need to know about that right now, or like I'll tell you when you're, or you'll get it when you're older, or like, and like that's just not cool, right? Yeah, try like an adult kids like know that like, I if you come to me with a question or a scenario or like whatever, like I will give you a the truth as I know it, you know, from my experience or from you know medically accurate information or like whatever, but like it's really about like rapport building and like building trust kids and also kids knowing that I'm like, I'm not going to like pretend like that. I, that I wasn't a kid, you know, like, kids we're like, have you smoked weed? And I'm like, dude, like I still smoke weed. Like what are you talking about? You know, like, I'm like other adults want to like act like, you know, like, Oh God, no, I would never like, duh, 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 duh. Right, I'm, like right. I'm standing for people behind you in line at theory. So like, yeah, yeah. you do. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think, like, I don't know, I mean, like, teaching kids, like, for me is, like, less about, like, like, advice or, like, instructions or whatever and just, like, give them actual options and being, like, look, I can tell you what happened when I did this. These were, like, the way it played out and these were the other ways it could have played out and, like, whatever. You're going to make the choice that you're going to make. Right. Like the other thing I know about teenagers is like the first time you tell like a teenager, like, don't do that or like whatever, when I was a kid, I'm like, oh, so it must be amazingly fun. And you don't want me to have fun. I'm going to try that as soon as I possibly can. So, like, I'm like, I can't stop you from making risky decisions or like, but I can give you enough information to make them as smart as possible.
0: Totally. Yeah. So, what advice would you give to someone? Let's say they're like, 19 maybe like in their first year of college or something and struggling with what do i want to do with my life and who am i like what would you say to that person
1: oh i would tell that person that they have all the time in the world to figure out who they are and what they want to do because that's honestly one of the things that's so crazy to me is, is like our schools like the way we are teaching kids and the way we are subtly pushing kids Mm -hmm. to thinking that the only way to succeed is to go to a four year college and then get like a corporate job and make a lot of money and get married and have 2.5 kids and like whatever, like, dude, that is literally like one lane of success. There are so many more out there. Like I look at like, you know, you like look at chance, like, Chan's like, did not sign to a major label, like, whatever, is now this huge artist, has all this, and he's did all it's the content he wants to put out, and like, whatever. Like, I bet at 18, Chan's the rapper. Okay, so when I'm 25, I'm gonna start a publishing company.
0: And like, Reggie cut out here, but he was talking about the modern definitions of success and how they're so, 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 so narrow. If you don't make, you
1: know, six figures in a year and have a second piece of property somewhere, and like da 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 da, da like you're not not successful. You're just like not a corporate stooge. You right. know what I mean? Like you can be perfectly happy and successful and content with like a small home and like a beat up car and like a job that you love and like you make music on one day on the week, kayaking and fishing with your buddies on Sundays and like da-da-da-da-da. Laszlo's like hierarchy of as long as you're getting all of those things, right, you're successful. Right. Because like like it I guess I guess if you like want to fully prescribe to like capitalism, then like Yeah, you won't be a success unless you're like an investment banker, a lawyer, a doctor, you know, whatever. And cool. If that's for you, that's for you. Not for me personally. Um, you know, even like, dude, I do nonprofit work. I can hammer for like $30 an hour, $35 an hour, but I don't because it doesn't make me happy. You can only frame so many living rooms that you live in before you're like, oh, we built a $2.7 million house this year. And like, nah you know what i mean like it's just like i'm not in any way shitting on carpenters boys i love you i know how hard it is i know how ridiculous it is but it's just like we we have a very like narrow whitewashed corporate that has permeated our schools which are problem of themselves if they like mediocrity, and if you're like, not a national honor society kid, you kind of like get like pushed to the head and like whatever so that like the other kid on their transcript and, like get into Ivy leagues and like da 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 which is fine for those kids, but like we need to be like teaching to whole children and like teaching to like you know other learning styles and like. We need to stop canceling things like music and art and, like, whatever. Like, they're not viable paths to, like, a fulfilling and
0: successful life. Right, because that's the point, is to have a fulfilling and successful life, not to support capitalistic America, right? Right.
1: Yeah. Like, dude, if you are, like, perfectly living in, like, a one-room shack making hand-woven beanies and having five cats then like dude you're at the top of the mountain you made it if you're happy like in your heart of hearts you're happy
0: yeah and i think that's like what it means to live an authentic life is to just like get rid of the bullshit get rid of the prescription of what we should be doing and then just like do whatever makes you happy and whatever brings you fulfillment yeah agreed
1: and i think you're like the stumbling blocks to that you know what i mean like i've got like for sure i mean i've got bills to pay and like whatever and like as much as i sit here and shit on capitalism i sure do go to work every week so i can get a paycheck every week you know what i mean like whatever but you know eventually like my kids will move out you know what i mean like i will age out of being able to be like relatable and fun and cool to kids i'll just be like a grumpy old black guy you know what i mean and like that's when like i will find what actually fulfills me you know and if like, like making music and fishing and riding my motorcycle and like working some like job Just like
0: yeah so how did, just almost, we're going to wrap up soon, I think, but I'm curious, like, how having kids has affected, because you just talked about this a little bit, like, affected your, what doing authentic life means to you, because I think that, like, from what I've heard, you know, I have two parents who have two, like, separate families with little kids, and, like, for both of them, I think that when my siblings were born, what life, like, the purpose of their lives just changed, right? Um and it was very much more like kid focused. So like, has that been the same for you? Or are you like still into like your authentic path or like, you know, why not try and balance them, you know?
1: Well, I think in, I think I think it's two things. I think in part, like, I think there was like an innate sort of like fear and like anxiety. Like when you like first find out that you're like gonna be a dad or gonna be a mom or like whatever, you're like, oh my fucking god like i have like another <laughs> human that's gonna like depend on me for everything right but then like, it it changes man because like they just become part of your authenticity hmm. right because like i've got you know two daughters and a son um who are, like it's my job to make them or facilitate them being the raddest humans they can be right totally and that like judgment free you know what i mean like i don't i'm not a parent who's like you have to go to college you have to go to college you know, i'm like whatever you want to make you happy is what you want to do that makes you happy right so like i think i think kids don't necessarily change your authentic path i think they like enhance it They certainly alter it a little bit you know what I mean? Like if it was like a straight 90 degrees, like maybe now you're at like 78 and you're like breezing off over here for a while. But then as your kids get older, you find that you can make that time again to like have the authentic pursuits. You know, like my son is going to be small actually. Um, and he's starting to get more independent. And, you know, my daughter, my other daughter is, is she's going to be seven um so now it's like you know i i do feel like i'm in a spot where i can take one or two nights a week and like go to the studio and like get up with jackson and drum and like Q and like whatever um without it being like not like noticed but like without it being like detrimental to them you know what i mean because like they require a ton of time and a ton of energy and a ton of attention and a ton of love and like and I'm glad to be there to do that for them. You know what I mean? Um, most of the time, I think they're really rad. Um, but it's like, it definitely, I mean, a girl who's my oldest, she definitely changed a lot. And I, I often say it's very possible she saved my life. Like, because, you know, in the, in the Shire, it's like there's not really much to do. So it's like, you go to work, and then you, like, just get hammered, right? So it's she came right in the middle of that for me, you know, like, 23 when I found out I was pregnant with her. Um, so it had been, like, two years of just, like, a nonstop party. Um, and then she came along, and it's, like, you think it's going to be so hard, but it's not. I just, like, cut all of it out. You're, like, you know, like, your boys call you on, like, Wednesday night at, like, 1030, and they're, like, you want to like go to bogeys and shoot darts and you're like bro are you kidding me like I just got her down I have like not sat down in four hours like I know I'm good like Hmm. and a lot of it like a lot of it goes away man like a lot of like the social circle that you have before your first kid you know what I mean like you find out who your true ones are right like those are the folks hey man can I come over at like four and like hang out with you and your kid and like whatever, like those are your homies. You know what I mean? Like the dudes, Oh, I haven't seen you in forever. Like what happened to you? You fell off the face of the plate. Like, yeah, bro, I'm a dad. Like I got shit to do that does not involve you and 30 beers in five hours. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, I mean, my kids are, um, my kids are amazing and my kids make me want to do better at everything that I do. Right. Like, Cause I think that's just how it works in a way. And then, you know, you have like, you want to try and do better than your parents did. You know, like all the things that like, you didn't like about your parents, you're like, oh, I'm never going to do that. Like but, Like, you're going to do some of it. Like I'm slowly watching myself like become my dad as I like amass a garage full of tools and stress about my lawn and like <laughs> projects around the house and shit, and like whatever. Um, but it's like not so bad, you know? Like it's, once you're in it, it's way less scary than it is. You don't know like what you're doing any more so or less so, but it's less scary. Cool. But I think it's, but I think it's easy to maintain like your, traje- like your authentic trajectory. Um, you just may have to put it on pause for a little bit. Right, cool.
0: So I always ask at the end of every podcast, uh, what authenticity means to you. And we've already touched on it, but just to get it out there.
1: Authenticity to me means showing up as the most comfortable version of you in the most uncomfortable circumstances.
0: Whoa, that's sweet. I've never heard that. That's awesome. Cool. like i i think like if i
1: had to boil it down that's what authenticity means to me that's such a good answer yeah go somewhere and just like calmly incompetent be you even if inside you are
2: freaking <laughs> out
1: yeah. right yeah. you can just like be like you know what like it is what it is we're here we're going to get through this we're going to make it you know what i mean like that is authenticity
0: to me dude love that such a good answer Cool. Well, Reggie, this was awesome. Um, thank you so much for coming on before I let you go. Is there a place or are there places where people can find your work?
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, Dominic Omega D O M I N I K, uh, we're on Spotify, uh, iTunes, I believe, or Apple music, whatever they're calling it these days. (laughs) Um, life smartest guys in the room. Um, Nostalgia all on uh, like Spotify or YouTube. Um, And people can check out the Facebook page is Omega. And
0: my Insta is I think Dominic Omega official. I think so. I'll link it in the show notes too. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Great to talk to you and hear your story. It's cool to uh, hear experiences from people in my hometown. And especially people who I have never met, but now I have. So it's great. Right Thank on. Thanks so for having me. This was awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode of the Authentic Path podcast with Reggie Wingo. I definitely liked talking to him and I learned a ton and was able to expand my own mind and my own points of view on authenticity and what it means to be a person of color in today's world and how that affects the struggle of trying to live a life of authenticity, but also how it makes it so much more important to do so. So yeah, really valuable episode to me. And I'm super, super grateful to Reggie for coming on the show. And um, yeah, just I really hope you got something out of this and that it's made a difference in the world because that's what we're all trying to do these days. So have a great rest of your day. And I'll see you next week for episode number three of season two. Thanks so much for listening. And this is your host, Phelan Sugarman Lash, signing off for now. Bye.